Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we will be joined in just a few moments by Richie Davis, longtime reporter and columnist for the Greenfield Recorder, who has a new book, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Tales from Extraordinary Lives. We can't wait to have this conversation with Richie. But first, we do have to have a bit of a fish wrap. Today's newspapers, tomorrow's fish wrap, because yesterday and today, big news days. Let's start with Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been indicted in Georgia, along with 18 of his favorite friends and co-conspirators, for a number of charges, state charges. It's going to be an extraordinary piece of litigation. Uh, how 18 people, 18 defendants are going to be there with their 18 lawyers and all the prosecutors in a trial that is a vast ranging conspiracy and how this will all take place anytime soon. Although the prosecutors say yes, within six months, I doubt that. But it's an extraordinary, extraordinary prosecution. And what's most interesting to me is the RICO, the state racketeering charges, racketeering influence and corrupt organization, uh, the charge fits organized crime, having been interpreted by the Supreme Court to mean any crime that is organized. And this, this enterprise does, in fact, fit RICO. And what is most telling and I think important under the state law is that the state RICO has a mandatory five-year minimum sentence. And that means, in my opinion, that people are going to be rushing to the prosecutors to make a deal and to turn state's evidence and to cook Donald Trump because he is the main target, of course. And there will be a lot of motivation for people to say, I don't want to spend five years in prison on a mandatory minimum because I did what Donald Trump asked me to do. This is his problem, not my problem. I'm not going to prison for him. And there are 18 people who will have that choice to make in this prosecution. And some, like Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> for example, who is, is now charged, ironically, when he made his, uh, he sort of cut his teeth uh, on the RICO, uh, racketeering uh, charges against mafia in, in New York before he was mayor, um, he, here he is charged with a RICO uh, situation for, um, he's 80 years old. He could be spending the rest of his life in jail. Well, and so he has a particularly strong incentive to uh, turn state's evidence and to cut a, cut a deal. I think if I were his lawyer, I'd definitely be telling him to think about that, not knowing all of the evidence. But if I did uh, see that he was uh, walking down a bad uh, future highway, I would just say, turn. Well, except that he's a major target, too. So they'd rather, get, they'd rather start with the lower hanging fruit um, and then work their way up. Uh, it's also Mark Meadows. He is alleged to have, in, in, in the D.C. January 6th uh, indictments, he's alleged to have uh, testified before that grand jury, and he, uh, uh, people say that he has already turned state's evidence. The idea that th- these individuals are not going to turn state's evidence, I think that they'll all be a united front to not do that. I think the odds of that happening are next to zero. Let's turn to another story because we'll be back to Trump and this indictment a lot in the coming days. Uh, We often talk about the fish wrap, which is not only the day's news, but how the day's news is presented. And when the New York Times uh, 
uh, physical paper went to bed last night and was printed on its front page was not the Donald Trump story because Donald Trump and the indictment broke at about 8 o'clock last night, which was way too late for the physical newspapers for this morning, obviously not too late for the electronic media. But the front page of the Times, Montana judge rules for youth in climate change, a right to be healthy. State must now consider environmental costs of fossil fuels. This was a trial judge's decision. Uh, And the trial judge said and ruled that the Montana Constitution requires the state to consider the environmental impact of uh, major uh, 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 power plant and state projects, uh, which the state did not do uh, and has not done. Uh, And this is being being, uh, praised as a major event in environmental litigation and for the uh, future of the planet. It may or may not be that. This is a trial decision. It's not a state Supreme Court decision. And the Montana Attorney General has come out with guns a-blazing saying, we're going to overrule this in one heck of a hurry. Uh, whether Judge uh, Kathy Seeley's decision will stand or not, we don't know yet. But uh, she made a number of really important factual findings that will stand on appeal. And I think there is a good chance under the state constitution that this case will prevail at the state. And it's important because it's not just what is happening in Montana, but there are similar cases pending in Hawaii and Utah and Virginia and Oregon. And really, the states may be the leaders if the government and the federal government can't lead in environmental protection. It's said to be the first time that a United States judge has determined through a trial that a right to environmental protection also also covers climate change. So it's a formal acknowledgement of climate change that it sounds important to me. One other matter I'd like to bring to your attention from today's newspapers, and this is the, let me share with you the... That's the fish wrap you hear. That's tomorrow's fish wrap. Um, It is today's newspaper, and that is the New York Times, because I wanted to share with you the beginning of the column by Michelle Goldberg, titled... Where gender studies are out, jocks are in. Let me read the first two sentences because I think you'll find them particularly interesting. In two weeks, the new school year will begin in Florida's new college, the Progressive Public Liberal Arts School, singled out by Governor Ron DeSantis for cultural transformation. Returning students will find an institution that is increasingly unrecognizable. Over a third of the faculty have left. Many of last year's students are continuing their education elsewhere. Hampshire College, a small liberal arts school in New England, has offered financial aid to new college students so they can transfer without tuition increases. 35 plan to attend Hampshire this fall, and 30 more have inquired about doing so in the spring, a large number given that last year New College had fewer than 700 students. So congratulations again to Hampshire College and Ed Wigenbach, who I've did send an email to this morning inviting him back on the show. We've discussed this uh, new college student transfers with President Wingen back before, and we hope to do that again. I think I think a large shout, shout out for Hampshire for doing this, uh, for taking this on. Well, so, have- I just want to point out there's so much about that story that I love, but the most important part for me is how students turned the future of Hampshire County from bleak too promising. It's really a remarkable uh, uh, grassroots kind of story that I. You love. mean the saving of the college? The saving of the college. Yeah, it was the students. It was, and it was the faculty, and the community, and the community, of course, has stepped up and is very, very 
crucial in raising the $50 million that it's going to take and has taken to save Hampshire College. Let me turn to, if we might, to Richie Davis, a longtime reporter and columnist for the Greenfield Recorder. His new book is Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Tales from Extraordinary Lives, and he will be giving a reading and having a Q&A and a discussion uh, next. When is it, Richie? When's your next? It's Tuesday in Wendell. Tuesday in Wendell. Where in Wendell? The Wendell Library. At the Wendell of Library, of course. Wendell Free Library. And you have another book reading as well on this uh, coming up. Uh, there's one uh, in um, September in Sunderland, and then there, there are other ones in Montague, Montague Center and Shelburne Falls. Okay, which we will give uh, our listeners a heads up on when and where they are. Uh, let me ask you this. If you were covering this story for Hampshire College and about Hampshire College, what would be your approach? What do you think you'd have to say? Well, I think again, it's uh, it, the the way that uh, Hampshire College uh, folks in the in at the college, uh, the students and the community uh, really helped the college tremendously. Uh, I spent uh, time this past winter in, in Sarasota, um, and uh, my my one of my in laws uh, was an alum of New College and. We saw the signs up everywhere, the support in the community, where right where we were, uh, and this, you know, and now the students from from down there are looking to Hampshire. Uh, it's just a fabulous story. Well, the students at New College are really not going to recognize their college right. because New College is now giving out oodles and oodles of scholarships to football players for a team that doesn't exist and baseball players for a team that doesn't exist, and the curriculum is being changed dramatically. Uh, the scholarships are being given to jocks, and the liberal arts education that it used to offer is being decimated. Yeah, that, but, and that's what Michelle Goldberg's writing about this morning, really. Fortunately, I'm not writing stories anymore <laughs> for, the, for the newspaper. Well, let me ask you this. Um, fish wrap. The title of your new book, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, I the, is, is explained somewhat by your subtitle, More True Tales from Extraordinary Lives. Tell us about Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace. Beautiful title. What does it mean? Well, what it means is that um, I spent all my 42 and a half years at the recorder uh, in a newsroom that really didn't have a window. We had a, uh, a shade over the very high window that was up and was pulled most of the time. Um, so I had some um, ways of escaping the uh, the daily grind of um, you know chasing after stories, and in in that case, I was really imagining what was out there. And uh, so, uh, in this third book in my trilogy of uh, stories, and um, if you say it's a trilogy, it's the three three books that are collections of your pieces yep. from, from the recorder. Yeah, since I retired. Um, and um, in this one, I was left with some stories uh, that I hadn't gotten to in the other books, and uh, it occurred to me that the, the, one of the main ones was this uh, flight, Flights of Fancy tour that I had done um, where I took readers on a tour of uh, Jack Kerouac's home, and we went to find the... Uh, the uh, birthplace of uh, Mary Sawyer, Mary's little lamb, Sawyer, um, and uh, also the uh, Elsie the Cow's uh, home and some places that people 
may have heard about, uh, but not really thought about, like like Calvin Coolidge's home, for example. Um, and so that was the Flights of Fancy end of And it. those are our Flights of Fancy, the reader's Flights of Fancy, or the... Well, it was my imagining of where we could take a tour, and then and went to, to see Dr. Seuss's house, for example. Um, and that was outside the scope of what we are always thought of as a very local paper. Uh, stories are rooted in, in uh, Greenfield and Franklin County, but I, I wanted to look a little bit further. There was this, uh, there was another story that I wrote uh, that's in the book about um, a, uh, a town in Indiana, uh, Aura, Indiana, which is sort of on the um, time zone line. And so when we would change the clocks move the clocks ahead, move the clocks back. We would always have a photo to, to remind people to do that. But I thought, let's write a story and find a place that's right on the line uh, where people had to, in some, in some cases, wearing two uh, watches. Right. I remember, the, it reminded me when I was reading that uh, in, in your book, uh, of the West Wing episode where they all miss their train back to Washington because they're on the wrong time zone <laughs> and you miss the next campaign stop as well. Uh, a fun story uh, and a true story about two time zones in the same state where people sometimes yeah. wear two watches because, well, they can't keep track of the time. And that was, that was done all you know, on the phone, talking to folks in Indiana. And the fun, fun thing about that was uh, by the time I was done with the story, people in town had already heard that there was a reporter calling around, and the last <laughs> person I got said, yeah, no, I, I, I was expecting a call from you. <laughs> That's funny. Let me ask you about the second part of the title, Souls of Grace. What do you mean by that? Well, there, um, so there are folks in, uh, that I was writing about in all of these books uh, that really touched me. Uh, by the way they live. One, one of them early on in the first book, Inner Landscapes, was Rob Ripley, 92-year-old Montague farmer, uh, who was just a guiding light in the town. And then there was Wally and Juanita Nelson. So in Those Souls of Grace, Randy Keeler uh, stood out for me and uh, Hawa Tarawali, uh, of you know people who are really doing the work that needs to be done uh, and not just, um, not that I'm idealizing them, but I'm, I'm pointing out that there are people in our midst who we should look, look at and as sort of heroes. And there are lots of heroes in our communities and that's, that's basically what it's about. And one aspect of your writing and your stories and of this book, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Stories from Extraordinary Lives, is that although they are centered on and directed at persons who live in and around Greenfield and Franklin County and Western Massachusetts. These are national stories. These are national heroes. These are stories that affect all of us, and they just uh, encompass lives far beyond our, our region. And I'm wondering whether that was intentional on your part or whether it was fortuitous and found grace. Well, I... I certainly wanted stories. They had to be universal as well as local. And uh, I always, you know, for the entire time that I was at the Recorder, I was always sort of uh, looking beyond the the county line 
uh, for, st for not for stories that were out there, but for uh, messages that could get to people and, and uh, stories that could be read anywhere and uh, people would take um, lessons from them. We are speaking with Richie Davis. His new book is Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Stories from Extraordinary Lives. He'll be reading and doing a Q&A at the Wendell Free Public Library, as well as other venues across the region in the coming weeks and months. We're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're going to hear about Paul Green and Randy Keeler and other extraordinary lives lived here. We'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Every time you open your energy bill, you cringe. And with good reason, because you're paying too much. The easy answer is solar. And taking advantage of solar energy with Franklin First Federal Credit Union is easy. Our solar loan puts solar on the table. And a local expert can show you all the ways it pays to install solar. Visit franklinfirst.org slash solarloans for more details. That's franklinfirst.org slash solarloans. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. Your expectations. What are your expectations for your new home addition? Construct Associates in Northampton can show families just like yours a world of possibilities. From antique to ultra-modern, kitchen and bath, additions, design and construction, residential and commercial, renovation and restoration. Construct Associates in Northampton and your imagination. Expanded and released by serious craftsmen doing quality work. Visit their website right now at constructassociates.com. Mom, tell us about Tom Lake. A woman and her three daughters gather at the family's northern Michigan orchard where, while picking cherries, the daughters beg their mom to tell stories of the famous actor she long ago shared a stage and a romance with. Mom dishes, and the daughters soon find themselves examining their own lives, reconsidering the world and everything they thought they knew. Tom Lake, new from powerhouse author Ann Patchett. Pick up Tom Lake at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with the reporter and columnist from the Greenfield Recorder, recently retired, who spent 40 years writing about extraordinary people and extraordinary lives. His new collection is titled Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Tales from Extraordinary Lives. This is the third in the series. In terms of the extraordinary lives that you write about in this book, Richie, 
we can't get to all of them, obviously, in this segment. But I'd like to take a look at some of a representative sampling, if I might. And one of the people you write about is Randy Keeler, who is, of course, well-known. For those of our listeners who say familiar name, can't quite place him, tell us who Randy is, what you wrote about him, and why. Randy, uh, Randy is, is sort of legendary uh, in this area for the work that he did um, uh, resisting. He was arrested for resisting the draft, uh, and then he was um, was involved in so many in so many uh, activities. Um, and is most famous probably for having been the person who Daniel Ellsberg's heard was so influenced by and led to the release of the Pentagon Papers by Ellsberg. Because, and they he, became was, because, because he was a war tax resistor and right. refused to, to pay taxes to support uh, a military well, machine. Well, that was, that was a separate thing, but they were all sort of connected in Randy. Um, and, um, and Randy, uh, you know, I, when I w- looked back at, at doing these, I, was, I thought I was done after doing two books. And uh, then I looked at some stories that I just hadn't gotten to, and I thought Randy Keeler is, I, I need to include Randy. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the, the backstory in wanting to do these books is that I didn't want these people to be, uh, you know, dustbins of history and forgotten, and I wanted them to be in, in a book and my book. And I, I realized that I, I didn't really have a story that, that really nailed Randy. And so what I did is I sort of, in this book, I sort of pulled stories together and uh, did uh, some interviewing with Randy. Um, and um, so, yeah, so I wanted to... So well, can, you re- can, you read, can you read a little bit for us so we can get a sense of what the book sounds like? Uh, yeah, so Randy is... Um, okay. Um, Randy returned his draft card to the Selective Service as an act of protest, then went to a sit-in at Oakland Induction Center, and then a demonstration at the San Francisco Federal Building, where he was approached by two men in suits. They said, excuse me, are you Randy Keeler? We'd like to interview you for a few minutes. Would you mind coming around the corner with us? I said, that would be fine. I thought they were from the media. They took me out from the side of the crowd, grabbed me, and said, you're under arrest for violation of the draft law. So Keeler, who was 25 at the time of his FBI arrest and had recently been indicted for refusing to cooperate with the Selective Service, was a speaker at an August 1969 War Resisters International Conference in Haverford, Pennsylvania, showcasing young men already either in prison for opposing the war or like himself, about to face trial. And that's where uh, Daniel Ellsberg was in the audience. Another one of the people you write about, um, who also has been on our show, uh, Paula Green. She had an international presence. She died recently. Uh, She was a peacemaker, a mediator, an uh, international repute. And, of course, perhaps most famous here recently for having had this program of bringing people from Leverett to Trump company uh, in Kentucky. Uh, you write about that. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about that story and share something from the book about what that sounds like. Yeah, and I should say that Paula is one of three people that the book is dedicated to her memory, along with Ermarie Jones, who was a longtime columnist for The Recorder. 
Um, and uh, Paula is in a previous book, Goodwill and Ice Cream, about the ha uh, Hands Across the Hills. Uh, but this story was really motivated by my seeing how what the situation is that we're facing now in this country and um, the work that she thought she was done with teaching about uh, conflict resolution and the work that she had done around the world. And this, is, this story sort of brings back the stories from around the world um, through a Karuna Center, which was uh, sponsoring... The Karuna which, Center for Peace Building. Yeah, which, which Paula helped found. Um, so I'll read you a bit here. Um, this is, yeah, so it's, so it's much more, about much more than just Paula. It's about Karuna Center and the work that they do. The growing verbal attacks on Muslims, Mexicans, and others that Green and collaborating peace workers heard, quote, became more alarming, unquote, especially given her work in Rwanda. Their intertribal tensions there, where the Hutu-led government in the early 1990s called the minority Tutsi tribe cockroaches led to the 1994 genocide, resulting in a million deaths. Paula says, when a human population is reduced to a bug, you can kill them. Like with Nazi characterization of Jews as rats, it's a classic example of dehumanization. Everybody in Rwanda had a transistor radio which blasted antagonisms and stimulated violence. Did she change your life in some way? Did she influence you? And I guess that's... a bigger question, really, which is the people you write about in your book, did they change you? Well, I think there was something that they were, the work that they were doing that really spoke to me and speaks to me still. And um, yes, it, it, it made me realize more and more that uh, there are things that you could do. You know, the, 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 the bottom line that we're left with with Randy was pointing out that uh, He's, he's constantly asked by young people, you know, what can I do in this awful situation? He's, and he points to the fact that he could encourage um, Daniel Ellsberg to, to essentially bring the Vietnam War to an end. And, you know, so, yes, you can do stuff. And it's important. Well, Bill, be, before we um, break, I, I just want to say to you, Richie, uh, for decades... Our, my law firm was uh, in Greenfield and Orange, and uh, I read Richie Davis. Um, Richie Davis interviewed me. You were just amazingly accurate. Uh, you're amazingly timely in the things you decided to cover. You always do it, did it with great accuracy. I always trusted when you called me and you wanted a quote that it was going to be accurately reported. I, I think you just uh, you made a real dent and changed our lives in your reportage. I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for all those years of fine reporting. Well, thank you. Um, and I'm glad you're still writing. <laughs> well, I'm not still writing. I uh, decided that uh, I need to, I've been retired for a good, like, four years, five years now. Um, and uh, I, I want to do other things. I want to do more music. Uh, I want to do, um, you know, other kinds of writing. So and it's going to stop at a trilogy. So it's going to stop at a trilogy. Yeah, that, that is, you, you can quote me on that. Yeah. Okay, we will quote you on that. But we'd also like to quote you some more. So I hope you'll come back before you're reading at the Wendell Public Library and your other readings and uh, across the 
Western Massachusetts landscape. The reading at the Wendell Public Library is when? It is the 22nd, which is next... uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, at 6.30. At the Wendell Free Public Public Library. Library. And then we go on to Sunderland on September 19th. Okay, well, we're going to have you back before then because we want to share with our readers, with your readers and our listeners, more of this book, Flights of Fancy, Souls of Grace, More True Stories from Extraordinary Lives by Richie Davis. It's just a beautiful read, and we want our listeners to hear more. So we'll have you back, Richie. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back. As I rise up from her arms, she says, I guess you call this love, I call it service. Why don't you come on back to the war? Don't be a tourist. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Monday marked the beginning of a new era for local veterans and their families with the ceremonial groundbreaking for the new Holyoke Veterans Home. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia. The sad part of this is that it came to light during unfortunate circumstances, but nevertheless, it's great to see our state and regional partners come together and make this long overdue upgrade happen. The new construction is expected to cost approximately $483 million and is anticipated to open in 2028. The building will remain in the same location as the old veterans' home and will feature 234 long-term care beds. This groundbreaking comes three years after the gathering for the 76 veterans who lost their lives in the COVID-19 outbreaks, sparking advocacy for veterans' needs with the Veteran Advocacy Coalition. Florence Pybar is changing hands. Danny McColgan and Isaac Weiner are purchasing the business at 17 Main Street from Maura Glennon, who has owned it since 2015. The new owners, who also run Familiar's Coffee and Tea in Northampton, are planning to preserve the existing business with the same bakery items and recipes, as well as expansion, including possibly extending hours and providing indoor dining. An anonymous tip led the Greenfield Health Department to inspect and ultimately shut down the McDonald's restaurant on Federal Street. When the department inspected the restaurant, they found approximately 30 health and safety violations, including improperly stored food, out-of-date food, dirty storage, and fryer. The health department plans to re-inspect today. Showers and thunderstorms this morning, then mostly cloudy middle of the day with a scattered shower or two, a high of 72 to 76. Scattered showers and thunderstorms return this evening, an overnight low of 60 to 66, and then a sun cloud mix tomorrow. Chance for a scattered to isolated shower, mainly in the morning, a high of 78 to 82, and the chance for showers on Thursday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. Does your knee pain keep getting worse? How about that pain in your shoulder, hip, or back? 
Don't let them tell you steroids and surgery are your only options. Call QC Kinetics now. QC Kinetics can make that pain go away with all-natural advanced regenerative medicine. They're helping people here every day with these amazing natural treatments that restore and repair damaged joint tissue. It's like turning back the clock. Regenerative medicine uses concentrated healing agents from your own body to stimulate that damaged tissue in your joints so they can work again like they're supposed to. And there's zero downtime. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in this exciting medical breakthrough. Patients here are getting real lasting relief and are saying no to surgery and drugs. If you have pain due to injury or arthritis, check out this remarkable option. And the consultation is free. Call QC Kinetics now at 413-992-5450. Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime, free of charge, at hilltownfamilies.org. And welcome back to Talk the Talk. This is the time for our monthly comedy quiz. So let me turn the microphone over to one Maddie Benjamin. Maddie. Thank you so much, Bill. And welcome to the Happier Valley Comedy Comedy Quiz Show. Uh, my name is Maddie Benjamin. I am the program manager and facilitator of fun at Happier Valley Comedy Theater and the monthly nerd in residence here on the Comedy Quiz Show. I am here to ask a handful of funny people to answer questions on a subject they know nothing about. This month, I am joined by our guest panelist, Scott Braidman, Artistic Director at Happier Valley Comedy. Hello. Holly Ruderman, a performer at, uh, with the HVC Happier Valley Comedy Family Show and the Championship Show. Hi, Holly. Hello. And this month, our third panelist is WHMP's own Buzz Eisenberg. You ready, Buzz? Oh, I'm so intimidated by you people. <laughs> That's exactly the spirit we want. <laughs> and this month on the comedy quiz, uh, I have prepared a quiz entitled "I'm Getting Married Next Week," so everyone has to hear about it. It's true, Maddie. Yeah, I'm going to ask everyone uh, our ask our panelists questions on wedding traditions from around the world. Well, first, congratulations. Really. Thank you. That's what I was waiting for, though. <laughs> Everyone Some else here, motivation. you were pretty slow on the uptake, frankly. I don't know how to tell you that. Your gift is L in the lobby. <laughs> Lucky person who's marrying Maddie. Mm. Oh, also, there we go. everyone who just found out about this knows that they're not invited. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, please, direct, please direct the emails to Buzz. <laughs> All right. Is everybody feeling ready? Ready. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Question one. This is a multiple choice question, and our panelists can uh, buzz in when they have an answer. Buzz can buzz in, too. All right. Uh, in the German tradition of Baumstamsagen. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. Say it again slowly when with feeling. <laughs> Baumstamsagen. Okay. There's an umlaut in there, so I'm doing my best. Okay. Uh, the bride and groom do what after the ceremony? Is it A... Dig a hole together. B. Saw a log in half. 
C, share a pretzel, or D, chug a liter of beer? Okay, oh. time to vote and explain why. This Let's go. I'm going to go with saw a log in half because when you said it, Holly nodded. <laughs> <laughs> okay, panelists, panelist number two, what say you? Well, the correct answer is saw a log in half, and it's because I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and you brought someone along for the ride. Okay, now, Buzz, are you, are you on board? Are you, are I, you, are you on nope, this log roll? Nope, I'm a chugger. I'm going for chugging because Holly thought it was saw a log in half. <laughs> oh, well, Buzz, you should have gone the route with what did Holly say, because it is, in fact, saw a log in half with a double-sided sword to work on their communication and teamwork. Bill, oh, would you wow. pass me that beer, please? <laughs> Doesn't sawing logs mean you're sleeping or snoring, isn't it? Not in this context. It means hard work. I don't know. You take this nice united piece of wood and you saw it in half. It seems like all the wrong message for the beginning of a marriage, frankly. Think about how Well, that's the downer way to look at it, Bill. There's also a saw involved, which really lends itself to some foreboding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move along to something happy in in the world of marriage. Well, uh, this one uh, also maybe uh, grooms in, Hindu grooms uh, might need to keep an eye out for something that happens during their ceremonies. Um, they need to pay careful attention because it is traditional for the bride's family to do what to the poor groom during the wedding ceremony? Is it A, make faces behind his back? B, put food in his hair? C, steal and hide his shoes? Or D, call him mean names? Oh. <laughs> Usually the mean names come after the wedding, right? <laughs> I'll go with uh, steal and hide his shoes because um, it, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes sense because it'll keep him from running. Oh, that's right. That's good. So is that, that your answer? This is that's another like, another oh. downer. Keep the guy from running away, <laughs> having got, just gotten married, so we take away his shoes. Come on. We're looking for a little bit of up enthusiasm here for the, the, the bride-to-be. Please. I, I would love to be contrary and pick something else, but it, it is actually um, they take his shoes. You know this. Wow. I'm, confidence is high. Okay. <laughs> um, I trust Holly and her confidence every day, and especially because it is the correct answer. They steal oh. and hide his shoes, and then his family tries to find him for him. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Holly got another point. Did anyone else get that right? Everybody did. Everybody got it right. And Maddie, I'd like your shoes, please. (laughs) You're going to have to come take them from me. (laughs) All right. Uh, For the next question, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some some nice choices that couples can make for each other. (laughs) Uh, In the Celtic tradition, couples can perform an unofficiated wedding by doing what? Is it A, tattooing each other's names over their hearts? B, tying their hands together, C, locking themselves in a room for 24 hours, or D, jumping over a birch bow? Wow. I'm going back to the chugging one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The answer is B. They tie their hands together. Sounds so certain. Confidence is high. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Is Holly a ringer? (laughs) 
I've studied everything. We haven't had any questions about rings yet. We're going to get to that. I, I, I have a lot of confidence. I'll go with uh, locking themselves in a room together for 24 hours because it's like a, a, an extended version of seven seconds in heaven. <laughs> seven minutes in heaven? I, 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 don't, I don't have to uh, you know, score myself here, but I, I want to go with the uh, birch, birch, birch bow, birch log, because the last, last tree worked out so well. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, really good reasoning, but again, the correct reasoning is just say what Holly says. <laughs> uh, the answer is tying their hands together in a ceremony known as hand fasting. Hand I was going to go with bows of Holly, but... <laughs> <laughs> Holly, you're smart. Thank you. Are you sure there wasn't some sub Rosa kind of hinting going on before the show? Uh, Holly and I have hand signals. <laughs> Your challenge is going to be to figure out what they are. So you two are married? Uh, only after we tie our hands together. Uh, I may or may yeah. not have a pair of Maddie's shoes somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for our next uh, multiple choice question, um, uh, we are going to move on to Italy. So Italians would traditionally throw what at the exiting couple? So as they're making their way out of the reception, uh, what would they toss at them? Is it A, dry pasta, B, almonds, C, handfuls of grated Parmesan, Mm. or D, a drizzle of good quality olive oil? Holly, what do they do? (laughs) I would absolutely love it if I were sprinkled in Parmesan. However, the answer is almonds. Yes, I agree. The answer is almonds. almonds. And Maddie, I'm slightly offended by all the other choices. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Come on, Matt. Come on, Maddie. Tell them they're wrong. I um, would say first they throw the pasta, then they add the parmesan to the pasta. And the olive oil. Right? You, and the olive oil as well, yeah, right. You've like, got to consider the, the order of your seasonings. That's right. Yeah. Do they also gesticulate a lot with their hands, Maddie? <laughs> Is that what happens during a wedding? <laughs> I was only making food-related <laughs> jokes. <laughs> I, I think it should be all of the above, honestly. Sounds like a good wedding. Yeah, well, if you want a well-rounded meal, it would be all of the above. But in fact, the correct answer is almonds. So again, <laughs> say what Holly says. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I can't believe this. This is really... <laughs> you've been studying up, I know. Ah. I can tell. Oh, Bill, are you, you, mean, are you keeping score? I am keeping score. Buzz, you're last. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a good time, though. <laughs> Great. Well, I think we have uh, time for one more multiple choice question. Uh, before we take a quick break. Uh, and here we are going to move over to Korea. Uh, so Korean couples exchange a pair of carved wooden figures in the shape of what monogamous animal as a symbol of commitment on their wedding day? Is it A, seahorses, B, foxes, C, penguins, or D, ducks? Oh, this is Scott. I'm going to go with seahorses. Because it sounds so cute. That's what I would want. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. All of those would be adorable. You're going to go with olive oil on this one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Parmesan cheese. Um, I, I believe it is ducks, but this one is, um, I'm only about 50% on this choice. So like, I don't know. I want to say Fox just so I can say it's Fox News, but I'm going to go with ducks because Holly did. <laughs> And I think the answer is actually a slight misconception. 
I think it's penguins, but they're not actually quite as monogamous as they're reputed to be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I now remember that. Wow. wow. Uh, well, regardless of the drama inherent in penguin relationships, the correct answer is what Holly said. Oh. Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> 50% or not, uh, you got that one correct. So where does that leave us on the score, Bill? Well, at the moment, Holly is so far in advance of all the other contestants that it's, well, how to put this, uh, uh, not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Scott, you have you have two points, and Buzz, you have one. So congratulations on that. And when we come back, we'll have more of the comedy, 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 comedy. Holly, would you write down the lottery number that's coming? <laughs> <laughs> more with the comedy quiz right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at $80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Some people make insurance sound so simple. You know, just call 1-800-INSURANCE. We'll save you money. Sounds pretty simple. So you call, give your credit card, and you're insured. They're hoping you'll never call back, hoping you'll never have a claim, because that's when insurance isn't so simple. In fact, it can get outright complicated. So many insurance claims have some little thing, or not so little thing, that ends up with a difference in what the insurance company thinks they owe you and what you think you should get. Maybe that nice person who signed you up at 1-800-INSURANCE will work it out for you. Or make Whalen Insurance your local insurance agent. When we sign you up, don't be surprised if our rates are lower than the 800 number. We'll get every available discount for you. We'll get you the right coverage. And if you ever need help with a claim, our door's open. Whalen Insurance. Call us for a quote. 586-1000. Your local agent working in partnership with Arbella Insurance. Whalen Insurance. Local people. Local service. Local insurance. Forbes Library Outreach Delivery Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at ForbesLibrary.org outreach. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we continue our monthly comedy quiz. The microphone is yours, Maddie Benjamin. Thank you so much, Bill. And again, I am joined this month by our uh, lovely panelists. We have Scott Braidman uh, from Happier Valley Comedy, as well as Holly Ruderman making her debut on the show and just wiping the floor with everyone else in this room. Oh boy. 
Have we ever had someone sweep all the questions? This this might be a this might be a first. Oh. Not to not to jinx it too early, but no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, finally, our last uh, call, uh, our last panelist this month is uh, Buzz. Eisenberg. Is I'm, I'm here on the floor where she sweeped me <laughs> and wiped the floor with me. Uh, well, it might be time for you to make a comeback uh, with this next round of open response questions. I'll read the question. Uh, you won't get any hints. You'll just have to chime in when you think you know the correct answer. So the first open response question is... Oh, and we should note, the topic is marriage rituals or wedding traditions. So because someone here is getting married. Could be anyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our first open response question is, uh, known as a bachelor or bachelorette party in the U.S., in the U.K., what is the name for these traditionally single-gender pre-wedding celebrations? Oh, I just learned this, and it's so cute. It's called a Hindu. Do you know what the... <gasps> Uh, oh, bachelor good, party oh. equivalent is? Am I allowed to say it on the radio? Actually, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and but this is a f another first for the comedy quiz. Uh, half a point, I think. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, no, you're done. No, you're done. done. You got a half a point. <laughs> you, got, you got to settle. I'm all done. Holly. Ooh, okay. What does Holly say? <laughs> this is a lot of pressure. Um, I think that it is called a doe party or a stag party. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the king's gambit. I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. Mm, yeah. Very proper. Thank you. Like, yep. Um, great guess. Uh, the correct answers would be a bachelorette party is known as a hen do. Mm -hmm. Real cute. And uh, the bachelor party is called the stag do. Oh. So I think that both Scott and Holly get half a point. I gave Scott a half and Holly a quarter. Because <laughs> she was half as right as Scott. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. She got stag. Yeah, okay. Okay. excellent. Yeah, okay. I appreciate there the, we go. the logic. Okay. All right. Uh, great. Um, as per a traditional old English rhyme, a bride can ensure good luck by carrying something old, something new, Something borrowed and something what? Oh, it's something blue. Uh, Hindu. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to give another three quarters of a point to Scott for that. This is too easy. I knew it was blue, but um, are you going to do that at your wedding, Maddie? When you get maddied? Uh, I, I don't think I will. Hmm. We'll see. It's not in the plans, though, but you are correct. It is, in fact, something blue. So Scott gets however many points uh, Bill decided for being funny, and then uh, Buzz and Holly get their points Let for being correct. Let me ask Holly, why something blue? Where'd that come from? Ah, well, I actually have no idea, but if you'd like me to make something up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, our next question is, um, the white wedding dress, which is now ubiquitous, is a fairly new trend, which was popularized by which... British royal. Mm. I, I would love to say Billy Idol because that <laughs> feels like the right answer. If we're talking about a white wedding, we're absolutely talking about Billy Idol. Yeah, no, it's actually um, uh, uh, Dame Julie Andrews um, who popularized it in The Sound of Music. She was wearing a white puffy tunic under her vest while spinning in the hills of the Alps. What am I doing here with these professional comments? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great uh, question. Uh, I am happily married. I want you to know that. 
you are, but what about your spouse? (laughs) (laughs) These are all very good questions. Maybe we should move along. Ooh, it's uh, a little warm in here all of a sudden. Next Uh, month's comedy is all the spouses. By the way, according to Mr. and Ms. Google, something blue represents purity, love, and fidelity, and is also meant to ward off the evil eye, a curse that could make the bride infertile. Oh, well... That's heavier than anticipated. <laughs> that makes a comedy hour happier. So it's got to be a little that. bit dark if I come on. Uh, Maddie, do you have anything in place for the evil eye? Oh, dear. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the answer, the uh, white, white wedding dress was, in fact, popularized by Queen Victoria. That's what I was going to say. Uh-huh. Did anyone come close? Water. No. No, Billy they I were too busy I being funny. This I thought it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Um, and our final question uh, is demonstrating that the Irish goodbye, Dutch leave, or French exit is truly an international phenomenon. Venezuelan couples traditionally do what at the middle in the middle of their reception? Ooh. Um, say, excuse me, I have to use the bathroom and then never see anybody again. <laughs> yes, they run away. They run down the thing and they're like, sayonara, suckers. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, they leave without saying goodbye. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to head out now, folks. So... Uh, where does that leave our scores, Bill? That leaves Buzz with three, Holly with about 25 and a quarter, and Scott with a, yeah, six and three quarters. It oh, leaves me demoralized. <laughs> <laughs> well, Holly is welcome back to win any time. Uh, and this has been the Happier Valley Comedy Comedy Quiz Show. If you are looking to add some more fun to your life, uh, the Joy and Ease of Improv 1, our beginning level class, is now open for registration. So check out happiervalley.com, and we hope we see you at a show this coming week. And congratulations to you, Maddie Benjamin. Yeah. Congratulations, you. Maddie Benjamin. I'll bring Parmesan to the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you bring the oil? <laughs> I, I was going to vote for pasta. What the heck? Scott, Holly, Buzz, Maddie, thank you all so very much. My love is vengeance that's never free. My name is Silas Kopf. I have long been a friend of Riverside Industries in East Hampton. For more than 50 years, they have empowered and supported adults with developmental disabilities. People are treated with dignity and respect, and the Riverside team helps them to reach their goals and even find employment in our area. You may not realize it, but you encounter people every day in our community that receive training and support from Riverside Industries. To learn more about the fine work that Riverside Industries does, go to rsi.org. Environmental nonprofit Ocean River Institute is working with communities to tackle climate change with nature-based solutions that feature slowing water down and building more soil with grasses and plants. Research indicates that people acting in their own neighborhoods can build an inch of soil in a year and slow sea level rise down by as much as 25%. Please visit OceanRiver.org for more information on opportunities to make a difference and go the distance for savvy stewardship of a greener and bluer planet Earth. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock.
I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Donald Trump is responding to a new criminal indictment in the state of Georgia. Correspondent Allison Keyes has details on this new development. The former president says he will release what he calls a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on what he calls election fraud. Trump says based on the results, all charges against me and others should be dropped, and this will be a complete exoneration. Mr. Trump and 18 allies, among them Rudy Giuliani and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, have been given until a week from Friday to surrender. Correspondent Nicole Killian is in Atlanta. District Attorney Fonnie Willis has asked all 19 defendants to surrender within the next 10 days, and she wants to try all of them together. This sprawling indictment lays out an alleged criminal enterprise citing criminal acts here in Georgia and six other states. The death toll in Maui's wildfires is up to 99, and search crews have only made it through about 25% of the hard-hit community of Lahaina. There are new questions about the island's main utility. Correspondent Jonathan Vigliotti reports from nearby Kula. Investigators are trying to determine if downed power lines caused the fire. Hawaiian Electric says it doesn't have a shutoff program like some other utilities, pointing to hardships a loss of power could create. The mother of a six-year-old who shot his teacher in Virginia is expected to plead guilty today after she was charged with felony child neglect and a misdemeanor count of recklessly storing a firearm. Police say her son brought the gun to school with the intention of shooting his teacher, Abby's Werner. She survived. Education officials in Arkansas are warning high school students about an AP class. Under a new state law, high school advanced placement classes on African-American studies will no longer be recognized for course credit. The change was approved by the Republican-led Arkansas legislature earlier this year. Jacksonville North Pulaski School Superintendent Jeremy O is taking it in stride. I know that there were certain groups who were advocating both ways, but we have a school district to run. Several groups are challenging the AP class change in court. Jim Crisula, CBS News. Higher prices, another interest rate hike ahead. Didn't put a damper on retail sales. They were up at better than expected 0.7% last month. CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. In various consumer surveys, people seem to express some doubt about the economy, and yet they continue to speak. We spent the most on clothing, sporting goods, and eating out at restaurants. The Dow is down 226 points. This is CBS News. Hire with minimal effort and max speed with Indeed. Their hiring solution platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates efficiently. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? maybe an outdated news article, or sensitive personal information about your family. Search engines don't always get it right. But right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free Reputation Report Card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. A first in women's soccer. For 80 minutes, it was scoreless. Then Spain got on the board. 
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Monday marked the beginning of a new era for local veterans and their families with the ceremonial groundbreaking for the new Holyoke Veterans Home. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia. The sad part of this is that it came to light during unfortunate circumstances, but nevertheless, it's great to see our state and regional partners come together and make this long overdue upgrade happen. The new construction is expected to cost approximately $483 million and is anticipated to open in 2028. The building will remain in the same location as the old veterans home and will feature 234 long-term care beds. This groundbreaking comes three years after the gathering for the 76 veterans who lost their lives in the COVID-19 outbreaks, sparking advocacy for veterans' needs with the Veteran Advocacy Coalition. Florence Pie Bar is changing hands. Danny McColgan and Isaac Weiner are purchasing the business at 17 Main Street from Maura Glennon, who has owned it since 2015. The new owners, who also run Familiar's Coffee and Tea in Northampton, are planning to preserve the existing business with the same bakery items and recipes, as well as expansion, including possibly extending hours and providing indoor dining. An anonymous tip led the Greenfield Health Department to inspect and ultimately shut down the McDonald's restaurant on Federal Street. When the department inspected the restaurant, they found approximately 30 health and safety violations, including improperly stored food, out-of-date food, dirty storage, and fryer. The health department plans to re-inspect today. Showers and thunderstorms this morning, then mostly cloudy middle of the day with a scattered shower or two, a high of 72 to 76. Scattered showers and thunderstorms return this evening, an overnight low of 60 to 66, and then a sun cloud mix tomorrow. Chance for a scattered to isolated shower, mainly in the morning, a high of 78 to 82, and the chance for showers on Thursday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And uh, with us is uh, our, our monthly visit, with, which is always so edifying, always talking about things which are important to all of us. Um, uh, but just don't tell her what to do. It's Professor <laughs> Carrie Baker. Thanks, Buzz. Appreciate <laughs> it. So uh, welcome to Feminist Futures, Northampton's radio show that gives a platform to cool feminists living in Western Massachusetts who are working to advance the rights of women and gender minorities here across the state, the country, and the world. My guest today is Donna Hagigat, who is CEO of the Women's Fund of Western Massachusetts. Prior to joining the Women's Fund, Donna worked at the YWCA in Hartford, the Women's Education and Leadership Fund, also in Hartford, now known as the Women's Advancement Initiative. And she also worked at the American Association of University Women in Connecticut, among other cool organizations. So Donna, I'm thrilled to have you here today. It's so great to be with you in the studio. Yeah. So Donna, tell me about what does the Women's Fund do? Yeah, so uh, we are 26 years bold, and since the get-go, we have been making grants uh, to advance gender equity for women and girls in, originally uh, in the four counties. And as we've grown and been along the journey, we're being more inclusive of all genders. Great. And so when you say four counties, what counties? Yeah, so the whole Pioneer Valley, Hampshire, Hamden, Franklin, as well as the Berkshires. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So tell me about what kinds of organizations you fund or what are your priorities right now? Our priorities are, there's three different pillars. We focus on economic security, 
We focus on freedom from violence and abuse. And the third pillar is around parity in positions of power and leadership. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Can you tell me about sort of some of your grantees and what kind of work they do? Yeah. So last year, we granted nearly $325,000 last fiscal year in grants. They all went out this past spring and they covered all four counties. I have a list that I can give you, but they range from organizations like Reproductive Equity Now, uh, that's helping advance uh, reproductive justice, to 18 Degrees uh, in the Berkshires that does uh, work with uh, children and women and families, uh, to uh, Trans Health and Uh, We also have three grants that were made by our Young Women's Initiative. So those young people decided where those grants should go, and those included uh, Massachusetts Jobs with Justice, uh, Take the Mic Organization, and Parent Villages. Uh, So those are just a sprinkling, but we've given out grants across all four counties. And I didn't mention anything in Franklin County, so So Well Tots is an example of an organization that we gave in, in Franklin County, as well as MCSM, which was formerly known as Montague's uh, Catholic Social Services. So what kind of impacts have you seen these grants making in the community on the ground? Yeah, so historically, the Women's Fund hasn't always been able to make multiple year grants. So one of the things that I've been kind of zoning in on is it's really hard to see like major progress when you give a one year grant. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we have done in this past year is in addition to giving out nearly $325,000 in grants, 12 of the grantees that some of which I just mentioned are going to be getting already a commitment for funding again this year. And that will really help to, you know, this is the fight for gender equity, as we've seen, uh, is not a linear forward movement, particularly in reproductive justice and when we talk about race equity and so forth. And so it's really important for us to stay in the work with our grantees. And that's my goal is to try to do even more multiple year grants. Great. Great. Yeah. So um, you talked about some of your priorities areas. And one is I, I know that you launched the Greater Springfield Women's Economic Security Hub. What, tell me about that. Yes, we have just issued a report a, a few months ago called the economic uh, a report of the Springfield Economic Security Hub. And that report was pretty devastating. Mm-hmm. We uh, had 195 mostly women Uh, There was a few uh, non-binary folks in the sample size. They were surveyed by other organizations that we gave grants to. uh, And what we learned was that uh, the sort of median income there was $15,000 a year these women were surviving on. And when I say women, we're not just talking about women because 89% of those 195 were uh, had children. Uh, so that's pretty devastating. And what we learned from that, we were using a lens that we have created that we call One Woman's Economic Engine that really kind of takes in all the factors and shows how they are interlocking. And some of the things that kind of uh, bubbled to the top as being most pressing for folks were housing, which probably yeah. is no surprise since we know our region has a housing shortage, uh, but also child care and job Uh, like workforce development opportunities. And we also saw a real, um, uh, it was kind of playing out what you've heard maybe about the cliff effect. Uh, The cliff effect 
really penalizes uh, people who are trying to get uh, get ahead by getting better jobs uh, because it then takes away some of their benefits before they have a chance to really recoup income. So it is actually a barrier that holds some women back from going for that better paying job because they understand that their, some of their benefits will go away. Right, 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 right. So we, we have um, Donna Hagigat, who is the CEO of the Women's Fund of Western Massachusetts. So on the issue of economic security, we had Marianne Bullock here a few months ago talking about Up Together, which is an organization that provides cash grants to mothers. And I know that there's a nationwide universal basic income movement and our guaranteed income. Do you, is, is work like that being done in this area of the state? Yeah. So, so far it has not been done in this area, but there is some promising, there are some promising developments and it's something that we would like to look into. But the promising development that I know of uh, is Springfield Works and Ann Candillas, who was one of our partners in the Economic Security Hub work, they are going to have a pilot program out here for 100 uh, women to receive a gap funding. Uh, so that will kind of t hopefully take care of the cliff effect issue. So I think that that could be a sort of uh, predecessor of something like a UBI, uh, universal basic income as well. So, so you don't know of anybody in the Valley who is working on that? Yeah, that's the first I've heard of it. Um, okay. I'd love to, if, if any listeners know of or are involved with anything, we would love to know about it at the Women's Fund. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You must get a really good bird's eye view of the work going on in, in the, these four counties and, you know, where the real needs are. What is your sort of general assessment? I mean, how are we doing? Uh, what, you know, it sounds like, I mean, if you're giving away $325,000, is there a vibrant uh, movement across the four counties doing this work? There is a vibrant movement. And I think one of the things that we've been doing over the last six years or so at the Women's Fund is being very intentional about valuing research. Uh, yeah. So we are about to come out uh, in middle of September, September 15th, we're doing a research report reveal. And that report is going to expand and update the 2019 Women and Girls Status Report. Uh, and it will be called a gender equity uh, report because we are being more uh, inclusive in, uh, to the extent that data is possible and not uh, right. beyond the binary, right? Uh, so that is... For us, it's been really important for us to also look at the data and see where the greatest needs are. Uh, one of the things that you'll see is probably in Hamden County, we've done a great deal of grant making, and that's because the needs there we keep seeing over and over are uh, higher in, ha in Hamden County, and particularly if you have a lens on women of color or people of color uh, as well. So what, what are some of the organizations down there doing this work? Yeah, so some of the organizations we're partnering with there are Arise for Social Justice, Parent Villages, uh, Dress for Success, Western Massachusetts. They've all been part of our economic security work. Uh, Take the Mic is in Hamden uh, as well. Uh, let's see. Um, Trans Health actually serves all of those counties. Then we have um, Pioneer Valley Workers Center also um, serves those counties as well. And then we have... Uh, Growing a New Heart does a lot of race uh, uh, training around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. 
and also Alianza Domestic yeah. Violence Services as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, Donna, in addition to your work at the Women's Fund of Western Massachusetts, you were appointed by Massachusetts Senate President uh, Karen Spilka to serve on the State uh, uh, Community Reinvestment Fund Advisory Board. How does that interface with the work that you do for the Women's Fund? It, uh, it actually is sort of a parallel uh, because we, the economic security work that I was just mentioning, uh, we were funded by that same pot of money, if you will, uh, to do a lot of that work. And we could not have done it without state funding for that. But the other sort of role I play with the advisory board is that I really got the word out in Western Mass to other organizations about this opportunity. So, for instance, Springfield Works, Berkshire Community College are a few that I can name that uh, learned about this opportunity and applied for it uh, because they heard about it. And that, that, um, that program particularly is prioritized around organ um, communities that have been uh, disproportionately affected by the criminal justice system. So, you know, they're obviously Springfield, Holyoke, Pittsfield, like a lot of parts of Western Massachusetts uh, should be involved in that. And I am the only member of that advisory board that's from Western Massachusetts, even beyond Worcester. I'm the only member. So it was important to get a voice. And on that committee, I also spoke to them about uh, changing the way they were uh, inviting people to apply for grants because originally they were going to ask for grants of 500000 or more and yet, you know, they're talking about equity and so forth and I said, well, I hear us talking about equity and yet if we are trying to get that kind of size of a grant and get it out and they are supposed to use it and report back on it, you know, within like basically seven months, uh, a small organization is not going to be able to do that. So as a result of that advocacy, they lowered the amount to $50,000. Mm. Could we spend just one more minute on money in terms and go back to the Women's Fund? Because I'd love to know how the Women's Fund uh, comes up with this very large amount of money that you are investing in Western Massachusetts and the rights and aspirations of women uh, here. Is it from your endowment? Do you raise it uh, from... Grants? Do you uh, raise it from donors on an ongoing basis yearly? How does that work? I love this question because the answer is actually all of the above. Uh, so we, as I mentioned at the start, we are 26 years bold, and there were a, a number of very bold women who started this fund. And not only were they bold, but they were visionary. We had Christy Nelson as our first executive director, who was like the most phenomenal fundraiser I've ever met still. Uh, and we also, the vision that they all had was also around things like as a nascent organization, most people don't even think about planned giving, which is talking about like leaving a legacy to an organization. And yet really in their first five years, they were already talking about that and a number of them had signed up. So a year ago, we had 25 uh, people signed up as Jones Circle members. It was named after Joan Hastings. And last year for our anniversary, we doubled that. Uh, but to get specific to your question, we really do rely a lot on individual donations throughout the year because we, um, the idea is that we raise our operating budget each year and then our endowment, which is around $3 million, um, the idea is what that throws off each year becomes our pool for grant making. Uh, and to answer your question, we do also apply for grants ourselves, and we've had a good 
um, momentum over the last few years in getting grants and including uh, a few national grants as well, kind of for the first time. So we hope that that trend continues. We also learn from that, frankly, because when we're applying for grants, uh, we are often to ask to do things or get data and put it in ways that we don't have it. And so when it's our turn to turn around and give grants, we try not to do that to the organizations around here that are applying to us. And that's also why um, I'm really of the mind that we need to try to commit to multiple year grants because I've asked our funders for that for the most part and most of them have risen to the occasion and given us two or three year commitments and that really helps us, right? Yeah, And absolutely. we hope everybody rises to the occasion. We're gonna continue our conversation with Executive Director uh, Donna Hagigat of the Women's Fund of uh, Western Massachusetts and of course, Professor Carrie Baker right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. GreenfieldSavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. Jay Burnham here, voice of the Massachusetts Minutemen. Touchdown, Massachusetts! I just wanted to let you know that all of the UMass football action can be heard right here on our new flagship home for Massachusetts football. Here we go! It's WHMP. Using WIC is easier than ever. You can use the WIC card instead of checks for your food purchases. WIC is a free nutrition program that helps working families stretch their food budget and make healthy choices. Visit us at mass.gov WIC, brought to you by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health's WIC Nutrition Program. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. It is uh, that time of the month when we do the Feminist Futures with Professor... Carrie Baker, and uh, a really interesting and important guest. Carrie. Yeah, uh, Donna, great to have you here. Um, 
I wanted to ask you about the Young Women's Initiative for Girls and Women in Springfield. I know you launched that. What is that, and, and what kind of impact has it had? You've been there, I guess, at the fund for six years, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did uh, help launch it with our team, and in the first two years, we actually ran the program ourselves, and I, after the first year, I said, what are we doing running this ourselves when a community partner could much better run this? Uh, so in the second year, we found that community partner. It was originally uh, 18 degrees, and then we moved to Arise for Social Justice as being our community partner. The program is one that we do in concert with uh, now 10 other women's foundations across the country. It really started in New York City uh, with an organization called Girls for Gender Equity that New York Women's Foundation funded. Really, it's a program for young women of color and uh, gender diverse individuals 16 to 24 years old mm -hmm. and it really focuses for them on what are the barriers they see in their lives in the Springfield area and it teaches them about civic engagement but it also teaches them about philanthropy as a tool for social justice so I mentioned at the start that three of the organizations that we made grants to were actually directed by the Young Women's Initiative so we yeah. give them a pool of grant dollars and we make a connection we say, okay, you said uh, economic security, violence, and mental health were things that you all identified as barriers. Now try to find, go do some research and we guide them on what organizations are doing that kind of work in your area and then lead them through a process of trying to figure out which organizations should get a grant from the Women's Fund. Uh, so that has been a wonderful opportunity because these young folks are not just beneficiaries, they become benefactors through yes, the process. Yes. We are also expanding, uh, I mentioned MCSM in Franklin County, the grant that they're receiving is to create a second site for our Young Women's Initiative in Franklin County. Wonderful. So we're very excited that we'll be launching sometime this fall as well. Great, great. Well, I know that women's funds actually are in every state. They are, uh, you know, I'm interested if you could just speak a little bit about this movement yes. of women raising money, often from other women, to help women Yes. and, and, and gender diverse people. Can you, are you, are you plugged into that larger network? Yes, uh, we are, we're not actually the oldest in the state. The Boston Women's Fund is coming up next year, will be their 40th anniversary. So they're the oldest in the state, but there were a lot of women's funds and foundations that kind of uh, showed up on the map around the same time as our Women's Fund. Mm -hmm. So New Hampshire started the same year. There's a couple of others. Uh, so there was a real movement that sort of uh, went viral, if you will, mm -hmm. and some of it happened like our Women's Fund. The origin story of it is that our three founders all went to the uh, United Nations uh, Conference on Women in yeah, Beijing, China, in and that was yeah. the inspiration. And, and by the way, New Hampshire, same thing. Mm -hmm. I had actually asked the Women's Funding Network at one point, and I never got an answer I would love to see like how many of them actually came out of like that that yes. convening or something, right? Because it is a global movement as well. I mean, we think only of our own country, and in even in our own country, about half of them are sort of standalone; they're their own nonprofits, and yeah. about half of them are like funds at a community foundation. Right, right, right. Amazing, and. It, 
talk, can you say a little bit about women's philanthropy and the importance for women to think about the ways in which they can use their money to help have a larger impact? Yeah, there's been lots of studies that show that women have so much control in households around like consumer spending, but they don't necessarily think about their control over generosity spending, right? Interesting. Uh, so that's something that we also try to uh, talk about. I know in the early days of the Women's Fund, they, there was even a movement to get women who didn't want to have their names associated with giving to, you know, at least have an opportunity to think about why if they are willing to put their name to it, it could be a model for others as well. Uh, so it's always been a thing that women, um, sometimes you know, there's a stereotype that women don't want to deal with money or talk about money, but this is an opportunity to say, hey, this is a great way to think about money and generosity all linked together. And you know, we do see that women are very generous. And sometimes I think just like with everything, uh, sometimes people with less means are proportionately way more generous than people who have quite a lot of wealth. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're about out of time, mm -hmm. but do you want, can you let listeners know about how they can find out more about your organization, sure. either as uh, givers or yes. as potential grant? Yes, entities? I recommend everyone go to mywomensfund.org. Women's is plural, but without the apostrophe. And there you can sign up for our newsletter. You can visit our data microsite that has all the data from 2019 and this latest report. And you can also donate there if you would like to. But lots of information there. I hope that um, this has been helpful, and I hope that you can support this mission. Thank you so much, Donna. So this is Donna Hagigat from the CEO of the Women's Fund of Western Massachusetts. Thanks so much for your incredible work. And thanks for having me. And thank you, Carrie Baker. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the 50th anniversary of hip-hop and how hip-hop became, well, hip-hop. We'll be right back. explaining what your good man really can do. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Monday marked the beginning of a new era for local veterans and their families with the ceremonial groundbreaking for the new Holyoke Veterans Home. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia. The sad part of this is that it came to light during unfortunate circumstances, but nevertheless, it's great to see our state and regional partners come together and make this long overdue upgrade happen. The new construction is expected to cost approximately $483 million and is anticipated to open in 2028. The building will remain in the same location as the old veterans home and will feature 234 long-term care beds. This groundbreaking comes three years after the gathering for the 76 veterans who lost their lives in the COVID-19 outbreaks, sparking advocacy for veterans' needs with the Veteran Advocacy Coalition. Florence Pie Bar is changing hands. Danny McColgan and Isaac Weiner are purchasing the business at 17 Main Street from Maura Glennon, who has owned it since 2015. The new owners, who also run Familiar's Coffee and Tea in Northampton, are planning to preserve the existing business with the same bakery items and recipes, as well as expansion, including possibly extending hours and providing indoor dining. 
An anonymous tip led the Greenfield Health Department to inspect and ultimately shut down the McDonald's restaurant on Federal Street. When the department inspected the restaurant, they found approximately 30 health and safety violations, including improperly stored food, out-of-date food, dirty storage, and fryer. The health department plans to re-inspect today. Showers and thunderstorms this morning, then mostly cloudy middle of the day with a scattered shower or two, a high of 72 to 76. Scattered showers and thunderstorms return this evening, an overnight low of 60 to 66, and then a sun cloud mix tomorrow. Chance for a scattered to isolated shower, mainly in the morning, a high of 78 to 82, and the chance for showers on Thursday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Some people make insurance sound so simple. You know... Just call 1-800-INSURANCE. We'll save you money. Sounds pretty simple. So you call, give your credit card, and you're insured. They're hoping you'll never call back. Hoping you'll never have a claim. Because that's when insurance isn't so simple. In fact, it can get outright complicated. So many insurance claims have some little thing, or not so little thing, that ends up with a difference in what the insurance company thinks they owe you and what you think you should get. Maybe that nice person who signed you up at 1-800-INSURANCE will work it out for you. Or make Whalen Insurance your local insurance agent. When we sign you up, don't be surprised if our rates are lower than the 800 number. We'll get every available discount for you. We'll get you the right coverage. And if you ever need help with a claim, our door is open. Whalen Insurance. Call us for a quote. 586-1000. Your local agent working in partnership with Arbella Insurance. Whalen Insurance. Local people. Local service. Local insurance. Americans became slightly less optimistic about the economy this month following two straight months of growing confidence. Consumer sentiment tracked by the University of Michigan fell to 71.2 in August from the prior month, down from a reading of 71.6 in July. The Food and Drug Administration says a multi-state listeria outbreak may be connected with soft-serve on-the-go ice cream cups. Two people have gotten sick and both were hospitalized. Both said they had eaten soft-serve on-the-go vanilla and chocolate ice cream cups made by Brooklyn-based Real Kosher Ice Cream. Cox Automotive reports new car inflation has all but disappeared, but that doesn't mean a new car is getting cheaper. The average transaction price on a new vehicle in July rose just 1%, but is still at an all-time high of more than $48,000. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Yesterday, Monday, after the show, we looked outside the window and there were police cars and there were all these bright lights going off. And it was, we said, oh my God, what is going on? So Dan Torres and I ran over, well, we walked over and said, what's going on? And some police officer uh, rather brusquely told me to get out of the way, but something was really going on. Dan, what was going on? I'm actually really glad. And I want to apologize for saying, hey, relax, relax. Bill Newman and I walked right over to a tree and we did not look up, but had we looked up, we would have seen a bear sleeping <laughs> above us. So I'm so glad you did. You, you would have seen literally a bear behind I'm, had you looked up. Yeah, a bear behind. Yes, we would have. And so I'm so glad you told us to get out of the way. Yes, that was that, that was, was really really useful. And I was like, relax, relax. What are we doing? What did we do wrong? Exactly. We did not know what we walked into. Right, but here to help us understand, we walked into the district supervisor for Massachusetts Fisheries and Wildlife, Joseph Rogers. So thank you for being with us. 
what happened with the bear? What was going on? And why was a bear? Why did the bear want to get into the parking garage anyway? Yeah, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yes, you guys did walk into quite an event yesterday uh, afternoon and morning um, right outside your studios there. Um, we did have a black bear that, that had treated itself um, earlier in the morning and uh, was discovered by some passerbys. So we received that call. Um, and we responded with a large animal response team, which is what you kind of witnessed, um, you know, in the process of trying to relocate that bear out of the center of town. Um, so th- the way the story ends, and I'll just cut right to the, you know, uh, punchline, is that we were able to coax that animal out of the tree, um, and it actually, uh, you know, made itself down to the ground on its own, and it was able to find its way to a nearby corridor, which we... Um, had identified was a more appropriate place for that uh, that bear. So the bear is is running around wild and free and is back in the habitats that we'd like to see them in, a more forested area outside of Main Street. Okay, just a few questions here. You coax the bear out of the tree? Uh, what do you do, ask politely? I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, well, every case is very different. Um, as I said, we have these large animal response teams, which we call LART teams. They're uh, members that are wildlife biologists like myself as well as environmental police officers who are trained in safe capture of, of wildlife. Um, so bear, moose, and, and deer. Where we typically get involved is when those um, animals are threats to human health and safety. Um, so if they wander into a populated area and, you know, it's a disturbance to, let's say, traffic patterns or something like that where it looks like it's going to be, um, you know, that people may end up in accidents or someone may get, you know, hit by a car or something like yeah. that. We usually step in and, and, and uh, you know, relocate those animals. Okay, so, so stop there for one second. What, why is the bear downtown? What's the attraction? I mean, the, the restaurants, the, 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 the yeah. venues? I mean, what's it doing here? Yeah, believe it or not, Northampton is um, a very popular place for bears. Yeah, why? I mean, what, what are the bears telling each other? Why do they want to say downtown Northampton is the place to be? Some lovely people come and help you out of the tree. What's it, what are they doing here? Yeah, we've been studying bear in the state uh, now for about 40 years. So we have, uh, you know, put electronic collars on bears and monitored their movements around the state. We know that we have somewhere between four and 5,000 bear, and the population in and around Northampton is uh, one of the, the densest populations that we see in the state. Um, where they're on the edge of kind of this forest and, uh, you know, an urban environment, uh, like the town itself, they're actually larger numbers of unnatural food sources, which is typically what is attracting them into neighborhoods like Northampton. Are we talking about garbage? Things like garbage can be an attractant, but also things like bird feeders. Um, If people have beehives and even chicken coops, all of those can be attractants for for these animals. And if you think about it in their natural environment out in the wooded landscapes, there's not a whole lot of food available, not a whole lot of calories to put on. So this time of year when they're preparing for winter and they're trying to take in a lot of calories, those food items like a bird feeder or a garbage uh, can that's left um, unsecured is, is a very easy and high-calorie meal. Um, so once a bear discovers that that's available, uh, they'll continue to come back over and over until we secure those or do something to limit their access to that. So Mass Wildlife uh, Supervisor Joe Rogers, uh, this is Buzz, and I live up in the hill towns, and we see, weekly we see bears, but I, it's actually, even though we're laughing about it here, it's kind of nothing to laugh about because the habitat of bears is being squeezed, and it's a result when people do put out bird feeders or trash, um, then what's happening is what shouldn't happen, which is bears are 
are intermingling with humans in a way that can be destructive of either species, right? So what is mass wildlife? What's the message to the rest of us about how to avoid these kind of encounters? Sure. So, you know, the messaging that we like to convince everyone is if you live in this part of the state, you live in bear country. So we all have that responsibility to look at our own properties and maybe talk to our neighbors and, uh, you know, those local restaurants and things that we frequent um, just to ensure that those unnatural food sources aren't made available. Because as you said, once that animal learns those bad behaviors, they find themselves in, um, you know, worse and worse conditions where they wander into more populated areas. Um, even intentional feeding can sometimes be a problem where, you know, people think they're helping this wild animal by putting some food out, but what you're really doing is training that animal to associate humans with food sources, uh, which again, you know, you, the individual feeding the bear, might be comfortable with, but when that happens at another location where the landowner is not comfortable, um, you know, that can spell a disaster for the bear itself. So, so, so Joseph Rogers, let me, let me ask you this, because we got to run. But I really want to know, you told us that the bear happily went back through some path you created, back to its family of bears. How'd yeah, you the, do that? Tell uh, us the, that. Yeah, the truth is we, um, it, it, we weren't able to chemically immobilize it. It was unsafe for the animal at the time and just the conditions that we were in. And we try to evaluate that at each of these sites. And so for this particular case, we actually used a bucket truck. Uh, to get up above the animal and provide some, some, some kind of pressure from above, which is unnatural for a, a bear. They usually climb into trees to uh, escape predators. So when we did that, we kind of, you know, flipped the script on this animal. So it came down the tree where we had folks, uh, you know, kind of a barricade that was set up with vehicles, and, and then we had some closures on um, Route 5 and 9 nearby, uh, standing by that if the bear ran that direction, we could uh, control the traffic to ensure it wasn't struck by a car. Um, and, and in this particular case, you know, he, he moved in the direction we wanted, so we were able to get him to that. So the bear uh, paid attention to the barricades better than Dan Torres <laughs> and Bill Newman. That's what you're telling us. <laughs> yes. Yes, oh, goodness. Well, listen, we really appreciate your successful uh, uh, saving of this bear uh, yesterday. And so Joseph Rogers from Massachusetts Fisheries and Wildlife District Supervisor, thank you so much for your time. Really Thanks appreciate so it. Yeah, and if people want to find out more, they can go on our website. Um, that's mass.gov forward slash wildlife. We have plenty of information about what to do if you see bears in your yard or in around your neighborhood. Thank you so much, Joe Rogers. Thank you. <clears throat> well, uh, so that's the bear story. And here with us in the studio, I'm, I'm really excited to speak with Professor Amy Coddington, the Amherst Music professor who has done interdisciplinary interdisciplinary research um, about something that just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Hip-hop, Amy, is said to have been born on August 11th in a little tiny party in the Bronx, and people in the culture of hip-hop, in the music industry of hip-hop, attribute that to the beginning of this incredible phenomenon, hip-hop. Do I get that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, thanks for having me on the show. So you've been doing some really interesting work. Here we are. You are now in the studio of a commercial radio station. And the question is, how did hip-hop go? I mean, hip-hop has been played at presidential inaugurations and at World Cup halftimes. And it's part of our culture for literally billions of people around the globe. How did it grow from this obscure little party favor 
in the Bronx in on August 11th of 73 to this phenomenon, which is part of our culture. For me, it's a really amazing story about the power of music and culture, uh, dance, art um, to spread globally and really influence musicians, artists all over the world. Um, so hip hop starts in this tiny party uh, thrown by Cindy Campbell, whose brother DJs the party and creates um, the sort of musical elements of culture, DJing, there's people rapping on top of the music. And then and rapping started in the Bronx too, in the absolutely. street corners, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's got longer roots uh, that go back, I mean, years and years and years, but especially to actually radio DJs um, who would kind of rap on air during the 1950s. Um, anyway, so it starts there. And from there, it just uh, for the first, I don't know, like half decade, decade, it's really a primarily a New York-based culture. It doesn't spread too far outside of that. But then in the 1980s, hip-hop just takes fire. Um, by the late 1980s, it, it's, um, you know, hip-hop artists are touring in Europe. Uh, records are being sent all over the world. Mixtapes are being spread just across the globe. Um, and so for me, that story is really interesting in how this culture that was really started by uh, very specific people in a very specific place with very specific resources. Um, namely, the South Bronx is an incredibly, at the time, an incredibly poor neighborhood. Um, and the culture is really started by primarily African-Americans and Puerto Ricans. And now in 2023, we see it all over the globe, embraced by basically everybody. Um, and it's just a, it's a great, it's a great story, yeah. It is a great story, and you you talk about the story in a book that's, I think it's coming out next month, is that right, in September? That's right. It's called How Hip Hop Became Hit Pop, Radio, Rap, and Race. Now, here you are, a Caucasian scholar. Um, you teach. How did you get so involved in hip hop, and what made you turn your attention to how hip-hop began, the phenomenon that hip-hop became. Yeah, so, I mean, my book is about how commercial radio stations um, came to play hip-hop and what the commercial radio industry kind of made of the genre. Um, the story actually really reflects my own background. I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, a very, very white town in a very white state, um, where hip-hop was on the radio. Um, and to me, right when I learned about the genre, I learned about it as kind of party music, as music that, you know, was played at school dances. And then the more I got involved and the more I kind of learned, I really came to appreciate that there was so much more to the genre than just, you know, party music, what we were dancing to at the eighth grade dance or whatever. So um, uh, to me, this book really answers the question about why the radio stations I was listening to only played certain types of hip hop and didn't really get into the more political um, or uh, you know social commentary aspects of hip hop, but really played it as party music. Um, well, when I think of a commercial radio, I think of pop. Yeah. I think of uh, top forty. Yeah. Right. So, how did hip hop infiltrate that pretty pretty standard culture? Yeah, so there's this, um, so what happens in the 1980s is a new type of radio station starts popping up in urban areas that starts broadcasting to a really multiracial and multi-ethnic communities. Um, so they're thinking, uh, like the station in Miami, they would say their audience is tri-ethnic. It's 
um, Hispanic, it's black, and it's white listeners all listening to the same music. In the commercial radio industry, this is pretty unique at the time. Most commercial radio stations in the 1980s were aimed primarily towards white or black audiences, and so these stations were kind of heretical. People didn't know what to make of them. And these are the stations where hip hop starts being played on the radio because it's seen as a way to kind of bridge between the musical taste differences of these different communities. Could you spend a minute and tell us about the relationship between rap and hip hop? Because I think of one as being primarily political and one is not. Help me. Sure. So those definitions have changed over time. I think the most standard definition to say to think about this is that rap is the style of music that comes out of hip hop culture. But lots of people tend to think about the difference as being, you know, rap is kind of the more poppy, melodic stuff, and hip hop is the real music. Or some people say, well, uh, hip hop is the more, now sometimes people say hip hop is more melodic, right? So Beyonce maybe is more of a hip hop artist, but Jay-Z is more of a rapper, right? And so that might be the, the distinction now. So the lines are really, um, are really kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're not, there's a lot of gray areas in there, and people tend to use these words to mean kind of whatever they want to mean. Yeah. I, I am fascinated. I, I led by talking about the fact that, hey, at Super Bowl halftime, uh, there's hip-hop and rap music played, and at a presidential inauguration, but even like on the runways in Paris, they use hip-hop music as these, these supermodels uh, show the, the season's latest. So how does it become such a universal thing? What is it about the hip-hop culture that attracts people to it? I think there's a lot there's a lot to it. So one of the primary sort of, I think the the ways one of the ways that people um, tend to gravitate towards the music is because it has this real power to give voice to people who don't necessarily have voices within their communities. So this was definitely the case in the South Bronx, right? So the people who started rapping in the 1970s weren't, um, you know, they didn't have, they couldn't come on the radio shows, right? They, they didn't have representatives that were actively representing them. They were kids, um, youths, and especially poor youths who really didn't have a voice. Um, and so across the globe, many, many communities have taken up hip hop as a way to you know, speak truth to power. I know that sounds a little cliched, but I think it's the right way to think about hip hop across the globe is that for many people, it is the best way of getting across who they are and what they care about. We are talking to Amy Coddington. She's an assistant professor of music at Amherst College, and she is the author of a book that's just about to come out, How Hip Hop Became Hit Pop, Radio, Rap, and Race. We're going to continue this conversation. It's fascinating. It's the 50th anniversary of hip hop we'll be right back that's just the way it is things will never be the same this is talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg find local news and local talk for the valley which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. 
People here are raving about QC Kinetics and how regenerative medicine has changed their life. People like Helen, an avid mountain climber who got sidelined when an accident left her knees in constant pain. I was not able to train or do really anything on my knee. Helen was told surgery would be her only option. But then she found QC Kinetics and was treated with natural biologics designed to repair and restore tissue in her knees. Three months later, she was climbing the highest mountain in North America. I got a very quick resolution to my pain. They began treatment in March, and I summited Denali June the 7th. It was super successful, and I recommend everyone seek out QC Kinetics as an alternative to surgery. Get your life back with lasting results. No surgery, no drugs, no downtime. Call QC Kinetics today. Call QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And Bill and I are here with Amy Coddington, the assistant professor of music at Amherst College, who has a book coming out very shortly in September, How Hip-Hop Became Hip-Hop, Radio, Rap, and Race. I wanted to ask you, Professor, um, local venues for hip-hop, do we have local venues that regularly uh, play this genre? Yeah, um, I think some. Uh, it's it's great to see more and more hip hop being programmed in the valley. Um, there's two venues I usually go to to hear hip hop. Um, Hawks and Reed is doing a great job programming some of the more legacy acts, um, as well as some newer artists. And I'm then, sorry, what's a legacy act? Oh, you know, someone who was popular in the '90s. So they've gotten many, many members of the Wu Tang Clan to come to Greenfield, Massachusetts, which seems like a real feat. Um, and those shows have been a total blast. And then Daily Operation over in East Hampton um, has been really has had a great lineup of new upcoming, um, a little more underground artists. So Amy Connington, professor of music at Amherst College, how do you know that this is the 50th anniversary of hip hop? How do we have a time and place for the birth of a music genre? We we don't. So the oh dear, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I and be, I can hear the air going you know, out of the balloon. You know how academics are always buzzkills. So here we go. <laughs> sorry, so, watch it. <laughs> so uh, hip hop. I mean, the the some of the elements that come to form hip hop culture, uh, DJing, for example, rapping, for example, graffitiing, and breakdancing were all happening prior to August 11th, 1973. The party that's thrown in the South Bronx is thought of as kind of the Big Bang for a couple of reasons. One, it brings together all, some of these elements. So we have rappers and DJs uh, in the same room playing and creating music for breakdancers. But more to the fact, it's a great origin story. We have a kind of, there's a physical object that's actually a recreation of the flyer that 
um, you know, they hung up to advertise the event. And so it's, it's a kind of great moment to say, oh, this is where it began. We all love an origin story. Um, but I think it's important to note that, note that the roots of hip hop go back centuries and centuries um, through lots of uh, African diasporic traditions coming out of the Caribbean, coming out of um, Africa, and into the U.S. So it's it's really a multi-part culture, yeah. So Amy Connington, I want to ask you, just uh, in the few minutes we have left, your book, is it comes at hip-hop in a different perspective. It's like, well, why should people read the book that uh, how, the title of which is How Hip-Hop Became Hit-Pop, why should people read that? What's different about that? Yeah, so I think there's two things that are different about my book. Um, one of them is that it focuses on artists that are uh, some of the most popular artists, but some of the most kind of, uh, you know, denigrated artists. So artists like MC Hammer, Millie Vanilli, who have largely, um, we've kind of forgotten about because they had this whole scandal um, where they were lip syncing all of their music. Um, uh, artists like Vanilla Ice and why those artists are actually important to the story of hip hop. Um, so that's one part of the book. And I think it's a fun read because you get all these little tidbits about Paula Abdul, right, including a rapping cat on the music video for Opposites Attract, bringing back this sort of fun, weird, goofy parts of hip hop into the story. I think the other part that's really important to me is thinking about how hip hop became a kind of commodified form of music. So in the 1980s, we're seeing hip hop soundtrack all sorts of commercials, Lego commercials, Pillsbury commercials, all sorts of, it's being used to sell all sorts of products. How does this music come to be that way is one of the questions that I'm really trying to um, uncover. And also, what effect does that have on the genre as it moves forward? In the minute that we have left, um, do you write hip hop? Are you a lyricist? Are you, <laughs> you teach music? No, no I, so I, I do teach a class um, on hip hop production. And so I make some pretty bad beats, but that's about it. So uh, how can people get their hands on, once it comes out in September, how hip-hop became hit-pop? Sure. So you can actually pre-order my book right now. It's available on uh, Bookshop, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you just search for my name, Amy Coddington, it'll come up. Or this book title, How Hip-Hop Became Hit-Pop. Or our independent bookshops? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So right now, because you're of the pre-order, you can only sort of pre-order it on a couple sites, but... Um, once, once the book's out, yes, our independent bookshops should have it. And uh, will there be a launch of this book? Yes, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to have a party with the DJ. So uh, details to be determined. And will you choose the music? Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> of course you will. I really want to thank you. Um, so the name of the book is How Hip Hop Became Hit Pop, Radio, Rap, and Race. The author is Assistant Professor Amy Coddington of Amherst. College. I want to thank you so much for your work and for being with us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on Talk the Talk. Like Amy Coddington, please walk the walk. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Peter Haven's Restaurant? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Peter Haven's Restaurant is back on the Shop 30 store. And now you can use their gift certificates for the Oyster Bar, too. It's right next door. Peter Haven's Restaurant and the Oyster Bar at Peter Haven's. Fine dining in downtown Brattleboro. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. 
Hi, this is Tom from 4-H. What will the next 100 years look like for today's youth? According to the 4-H members of Hampshire counties, there are no limits. Youth, supported by adult 4-H club leaders, are being prepared to take on any role they can imagine. Astronaut, director, hockey player, surgeon, engineer, and CEO. These are just some of the roles that a recent survey shows that our 4-Hers not only dream about, but are preparing for. Join the 4-H team. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's a 